0: Episode 168 is here everybody with Allison Penna, the uh, self-proclaimed quote-unquote bad widow and uh, you will understand why after this tremendously insightful conversation, digging into Allison's past and the things she's gone through from losing her husband, her husband of 25 years, lying in her arms and closing his eyes and leaving this earth and the process that she had to uh, deal with in the coming years and all the different mindset, mentality, emotional, everything that goes into losing somebody and having such a tremendous amount of grief and how to pick yourself back up and get back into society. It was a tremendously insightful conversation. And please share this episode. If there's somebody out there that's grieving, Please share this with them. I think that this could really help them. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, share, like, comment, follow. Whatever app you listen to, however you're listening to this podcast, we continue to grow. And I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, the The five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts continue to come in. If you want to leave us a, a review, uh, a five-star. And it, you know what? If you don't like it that much and you still want to leave a, a rating, go ahead. Leave a three-star. Leave a one-star. I don't mind. Give us feedback, but uh, if you like what you're getting and you're getting value out of this thing, leave us leave us something so we know what's going on. With that said, everybody, a tremendously powerful conversation and uh, really liked this one and found tremendous value. Please welcome the one and only, Allison Penna.
1: The Optimal Life.
0: Allison, how are you tonight?
1: I am great, thanks Nathan.
0: So talk to us a little bit about David.
1: So my husband David was a professional artist and um, we were together for three weeks short of 25 years. Um, In October of 2015 he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he died at home in my arms in September 2016. Um, The lifespan, typical lifespan for someone when they have stage four pancreatic cancer is six weeks to four months. So it's really one of those things where they don't say this, but if you look it up on Google, it's like prepare to die. Mm.
0: You guys were together you guys were friend. you guys were together for the majority of your adult your adult life, correct?
1: Yeah, about half my life we had been together
0: and uh, after all those years together, you get this dire diagnosis of course and mm-hmm. they tell you that uh, he's only got several more months to live or whatever the the exact time frame was. Take us through what 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 is that like? Do you remember that when they told you that and, and how did you feel that day?
1: It was shocking. I mean, it was shocking that we didn't really know what it meant except that the state day we got a CAT scan. And the doctor said, you must come in now and you must see an oncologist today, which is never a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember standing in Rite Aid and calling the oncologist they recommended and them saying you can come in in three weeks and I said no we'll be there today but it was shocking I mean it was just
0: shocking um, yeah, yeah it's one of those moments that you probably have trouble really uh wrapping your head around it's, a, it's to, to, to digest that kind of news out of the blue. I, I mean, I, I just yeah. try to wonder what that does to the human psyche.
1: You don't know what it means. Like, what does it mean practically? Um, because they tell you all these things that are going to happen. Okay, you're going to start uh, chemo, and you're going to lose your hair, and you're going to do all these things but the reality of those things is very different from being told. Yes. Um, he he was very proud of his hair and his eyebrows and his mustache. And so when he heard that he was gonna lose his hair from the chemo, he went and he got a really short haircut so that it wouldn't be so shocking. And then the next day he got on, we live in New York City, and he got on a city bike and he rode through the city and his hair started coming off his head.
0: Wow, that quickly?
1: Eyelashes cutting into his eyes.
0: Oh my God.
1: And when he took a shower that night, he lost most of the rest of it. Hold that's going to happen. And having it happen is... It seems like such a small thing, but it's just devastating.
0: So, what do you guys do? You go back home. You're looking at each other. You spent decades together. Yep. And uh, what are the conversations? It's got to be so surreal. How do you... What's the plan over for, for the rest of, of his life? Well,
1: um, the doctor said, you know, slow down and do less. And um, you know, you're coming to the end of your life, and you should just, you know, relax and take it easy for the rest of the time. And for us, that made no sense at all. No sense at all. If he was going to be dying relatively soon, and if our time together was going to be over fairly soon, potentially as short as six weeks, now we got 11 months then why would we not really live all they, the rest of the days we
0: had? They, they told you worst case scenario, you've got about a month and a half left and he ended up no, living... No, that
1: was, that was Google.
0: Oh, Google <laughs> Google told you. Okay. And then he ended up living 11 months after the diagnosis.
1: 11
0: months after okay. the diagnosis. That's that's okay. So so continue on. So you're, you guys are looking at this and going, no, we're not going to just stay home.
1: We're not going to just stay home. Um, but... There, there were realities. I mean, he, what he did get weaker, and his balance got worse, and the, you know, the chemo and the cancer were just devastating on the body. Um, he was also diabetic, so for his diabetes, he wasn't meant to eat anything sugar, except that he went from two hundred and sixty-three pounds. 246 pounds at 6 foot 3 so for his cancer the only thing he (sighs) liked was milkshakes Mm -hmm. so we were always bobbling between overdoing the sugar which sent his diabetes into a tailspin to try and keep his weight up to keep him strong Mm. it was a constant battle Um, and then with cancer and chemo, you get brain fog. And so he wouldn't always remember how much insulin he had taken, and then he'd send himself crashing down because he took too much. Because of the cancer and chemo, he could not remember. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite the roller coaster, but in the face of that, what we decided to do was was really live, so we cut out of our lives those things that didn't matter toxic people, unpleasant activities to the degree that we could, they were gone because we didn't have that much time and so why would we do things that we were just enduring rather than prioritizing the stuff we loved Um, he loved to paint, he loved to play tennis and he loved to go paint for an entire day and he couldn't do that. He didn't have the energy. So he'd go out and he'd paint with his friends for four hours instead of eight or two hours instead of four. Um, he loved to play tennis. At a certain point, his balance was so bad that he would measure his length on the court and then get up and just keep playing. Because he got easier on himself. Mm-hmm. It was just less important.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how it takes sometimes such devastating news of our own existence to put mm-hmm. to put everything in perspective. You guys are going. Wait a second. Why have we hung out with all these toxic people for all these prior years? It right. Exactly. It, it adjusts the way that you think about life.
1: Exactly. And and why in our marriage did we let it degenerate into? going to work and doing chores instead of remembering how much we loved each other.
0: Why did we stop dating? Exactly. Mm, Jeez.
1: But we don't think about these things and then when it's in your face when someone's going from 263 pounds to 146 pounds. By the time he died I was 40 pounds heavier than he was and I'm a foot shorter.
0: And you watched him deteriorate on the daily basis. Slow and steady. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yep.
0: So let me and, ask. Let me ask you, uh, Allison. While while that was happening, and you're mm-hmm. planning this, because listen, he's out playing tennis. He's still trying to enjoy these last weeks and months of his yep. life, as he should. Yep. What's going on with you behind closed doors? As he's out, and, and living. What kind of feelings are going on with you? Like what, as you plan the the future post David, that had to be pretty surreal for you too.
1: Well, you can't actually plan the future. I mean, you can plan some things. You can plan. So for me, or envision. Let me
0: let me let me. I'm sorry. Let me use a different word. As you started to envision your future post David. I didn't. You didn't.
1: I didn't. I was fighting for his life. Mm. Every minute I was fighting for his life for as long as I had.
0: So there was never like, hey, we're," you couldn't even think about what that looked like because we're going to keep this thing going, and I, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'm not even thinking like that.
1: Well, I mean, we did the practical things. We talked about sort of what he wanted me to do with his studio and his paintings and his mom, and uh, we got Will's. You know, we we talked about practical things. He did wedding paintings. We had to call up people whose weddings he was meant to paint and say, he's dying, he can't do this. He'll have to get someone else. You know? Yeah. So so there were commitments that he had going out that he was not going to be able to fulfill. Right. And he did his last wedding in August and he died in September and I went with him because I was afraid he would fall over and I was afraid we'd have to call the ER ambulance and I needed someone there who had authority to do that
0: but as right as that year is progressing and as it's getting more it's getting worse and worse and he's deteriorating and you notice it obviously and you're doing the wills and you're you're doing all the, the responsible things the uncomfortable things but the responsible things that must be done god forbid right. the, the 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 death actually happens which of course it did unfortunately yep as you're getting closer to the end maybe it's the last weeks months whatever what are you th- i'm trying to understand your position you as the you as the pending widow the one that is it, going to have to carry everything. Like, what What are you thinking about what happens after he's gone?
1: Well, I was trying to stay whole myself. Right. I mean, there was, for both of us, there was so much fear, grief, and anger. And we were sort of trying to keep it from each other for a while. Because we didn't want to scare the other person. Um... So one of the things I wanted to do was I I wanted to speak on stages about the work that I do, and I wanted to sing in cabaret shows. And in those 11 months, I spoke on three stages, and I sang on four. And the singing was really important because it reminded me that I was not just a caregiver, and I would not just be a widow. I was other things also and so the songs I chose were really to remind me of it and the last show I did was the Tuesday before the Saturday he died in my arms and I sang I will survive I sang everybody says don't because people were telling me you have to put him in the hospital you have to do this you have to do that you can't handle this and I said, you have no idea what I can handle.
0: Wow. The the, the music and the singing was giving you a... a, a it was reminding you of a, a purpose outside of caregiver. It's almost like you yeah, couldn't even focus... Yeah, it reminded me
1: that there was more to me than that. At a, at a time when that was all-consuming. You... I mean, everything I was doing was to provide an environment where we could live to the end.
0: And everything was about David, of course. I mean... You were completely secondary. You didn't think about yourself at all that entire year.
1: No, I did. I did because I needed to... See, if I fell apart, everything fell apart. There you go. So I needed to somehow find a way to myself stay whole as I was creating an environment for him to thrive as much as possible. He finished his last uh, watercolor commission the Thursday before the Saturday he died. He was talking to me the morning he died.
0: Take us back. Take us back to the to that to that that last few minutes of his life.
1: So he, um, we had done this when we were really scared. I created this meditation for us to fill up with love, and so I was holding him in my arms and his head was on my shoulder and he was asking, he was like, what about my mom and what about my paintings and what about the studio and what about you? And I'm like, I've got this, I'll take care of everything. I've got this. And then he got quiet and I said, in a body you need breath and love. When you leave a body All you need is love. So when you're ready, go out on the love. Stay as long as you want. Leave when you're ready. But then you can just go out on the love. And he took four breaths and did.
0: He closed his eyes in your arms?
1: He died in my
0: arms. Wow. Yep. And you're holding... You're holding him and looking at this man that you loved for so many years and spent so many minutes and hours and days with.
1: And I had tears coming down my face, and I was trying not to let them land on his body so he would know. So I remember putting my head back so they would fall on me, not him.
0: Oh, my God. Did yeah. you did, what did you know right away that he was gone or did it take some several minutes
1: no I knew I knew soon um it didn't take long
0: I mean can you even put into words and if you can't I totally understand can you put into words the way that 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 moment felt when you're holding somebody and someone that was your partner in life and then they're lifeless and you're literally watching that?
1: It was... It was a gift to be able to to have that be it. To have just the two of us in the house, nobody else around. To have him not be scared going out and to, like, know that with certainty. It was incredible. It was... One of the most difficult and most transcendent moments of my entire life.
0: This is this is uh, the, the the spirituality behind it and the intensity behind it. This is the type of stuff that I try to wrap my head head around because what you experience, not many people experience in their lives usually when we lose the loved one we lose them not at the time that we want to you know we're not necessarily there and the way that you got to experience it was so I don't know what the right word is it was so pure it was so real it was probably so connected Uh, so I mean
1: Well, and, and I was lucky enough to almost immediately afterwards I had a friend who is a doctor And I was starting to to jump. I was starting to say, okay, I gotta gotta call the funeral home and I gotta do this and I gotta do that and I gotta do the other thing. And she said, you don't have to do any of that. She said, you can take your time. Mm. And I lay there and I held my husband for an hour before I did anything.
0: It was tough for you.
1: It was, but it was also necessary. It was necessary not to jump into the action and just let myself feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're so inclined to, okay, well, we got to get to the doing.
0: Right, We want to be, all right, we got to get, we got to stay busy. We can't even acknowledge these feelings. And then, of course, if we don't acknowledge them, they come back tenfold, and they come back to typically haunt you later on. And you said, I'm just going to sit here and feel this.
1: Yep. Erupting volcanoes are ugly.
0: So what happens after that, Allison? Because you call yourself bad widow. What what happened I call
1: myself Bad Widow. So what happened after that is that people kept getting getting it wrong. So for example, I called this guy who was meant to immediately after fairly immediately after Dave died, I called this guy who was meant to come see him that afternoon. And I said, Don't come, he's just died. And he said, Well, can I come and say goodbye to his body? And I was speechless. And then he said, is that too much? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but that kind of thing happened a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot, people just awkward and getting it wrong because they didn't know what to do. And so Bad Widow was about actually blowing up those assumptions, not just going along and saying, oh, thank you so much for your care which I did appreciate but if they were getting it wrong and I was getting sad or angry it was distancing our connection and I just thought there had to be a better way but it's one of those things people don't talk about mortality they don't talk about the cost of caregiving they don't talk about you know what is the actual experience of becoming a widow I had someone who had my back for 25 years. And then in a minute I didn't.
0: Mm. So what was your what was your mindset? What was how did you handle your life? Take us through that next year.
1: Um I felt so broken. Yeah. For a while. The, the first year was a wasteland of grief. The second year, I could go zero to rage in five seconds. <laughs> Neither of those were pleasant to be around.
0: What were you angry about?
1: In the first year, you're sort of numb. You're just like, how do I make it through the day? How do I wake up? Because I I would wake up, and in my dream, he was still there. And then I would wake up, and the pain would crash in again.
0: Oof. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. And so that first year was this, this numbness and let me just make it through each day. Plus, he was an artist. He left a studio on Union Square that he'd been in for 30 years. He had a 1,000 paintings he left me. And so the studio needed to be closed down somehow at a time when every time I walked in there, I burst into tears because smell is one of the most visceral experiences mm-hmm. and you know think oil paint
0: <laughs> right right
1: um and all those memories would kick in
0: what, what, what was uh, triggering you in year two
1: year two year two it gets real so year one people are around to a degree they're doing their best to support you a lot of the time they're getting it wrong but they're if you're a widow who's lost someone you've loved for 25 years, you get a year to grieve. Okay. That's the, the understood amount. And there are all kinds of losses where people get less time. You get less time to grieve a divorce, you get less time to grieve loss of a business or a job, you get, but these are all grieving experiences. Yes. Um, and so in the second year, everyone thinks you should be over it and they banish. And in the second year, it's real. So Bad Widow was about, okay, let me blow up these assumptions. And I kept having all these different breakdowns. So uncontrollable feelings. And people think that you can just stop it. Just get it under control. But it's not like that. Um, Attention span of a fruit fly. I had holes in my memory you could drive a truck through and I had no energy. Some days I'd have a lot of energy, some days I'd have no energy. But like, I couldn't count on making an appointment for tomorrow and having energy tomorrow. Wow. And so so there were these really practical things that were taking me down.
0: And the... the, the root yep. cause co- the root cause allison possibly was the fact that people um lacked empathy for you they lacked uh, uh sympathy for you because they thought all right it's been a year it's time to move on with your life and you're say in your mind that wasn't fair to you and that may have been triggering you like you say go to zero to 100 within seconds
1: no, it was, it was, it um, it was, it was more, I was always clear that the people who cared about me cared about me. I was also clear that they had no idea what to do to do it right. Mm-hmm. And so part of that widow was, okay, this is clearly a conversation that nobody has. So how do you know what to do if nobody's talking about it? It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to go on a first date and I expect the guy to know what restaurant I like, know what food I want, what kind of ambiance I'm going to be comfortable with, what kind of neighborhood, without asking me. That's what we're asking people to do. And it's unrealistic, except people used to never talk about money and sex. People don't talk about mortality they don't talk about grief and so there's a real lack of understanding about how to deal with someone who's grieving in a way that's effective people would say how are you and my thought would be how do you think I am right. I just lost the man I love for 25 years I have no idea what my future holds I'm terrified what do you think but I could answer how are you today. And so I just started reframing and having the conversation with people so that the people who cared ab- about me could do it better. Yeah. And it worked.
0: But when you and, say when you say bad widow cuz that can yep. mean that can mean multiple things and I know that you you coach people and we'll get into that and, and helping people overcome these these grief Grieving situations, uh, but bad widow could to me means like, hey, listen, I'm ready to turn my life around, and now I'm being a bad widow because you know I'm kind of forgetting about my past. Did you did you experience that at some point?
1: Fundamentally, I'm bad widow because I'm a disruptor. So when I see something that doesn't work, and the way that people treat those who have suffered a loss as broken doesn't work.
0: Please al- so elaborate. It's G- give us, give us to
1: kind of tap into your resilience and turn it around, but it's really hard when everyone around you is treating you like you're broken.
0: But what made you a bad widow? Give us some examples.
1: What made me a bad widow was that I wasn't willing to... Ju- if someone did something wrong like said how are you I was likely to correct them and say actually I can't answer that but I can answer this and so I just kept designing solutions for all the breakdowns that I kept running into.
0: But, but let me ask I, you why why do you feel like somebody that says to you how are you Why do you feel like that they're doing something wrong?
1: Because it was not an answerable question.
0: In your in your mind?
1: Well, I had a future with my husband and then on four breaths I didn't. But what I had no idea who I was as an I.
0: mm -hmm.
1: I had been a we for twenty five years. Okay. That is a long time. And so they were asking me something that hurt and they didn't mean to hurt me
0: sure of course
1: but if I didn't say something they would keep going just because they didn't know and I was always clear that everybody meant well mm. that they cared it wasn't a matter of that right. and who I was angry at I was angry at Dave my husband
0: Ooh, interesting
1: I would shout at him and say you've got it easy you don't have to figure out how to live on without
0: you. You left me with all this baggage. You left me with all this craziness.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm just trying to get into the psyche because, and the mindset, the mentality, the emotional state. What would you have wanted them to ask you otherwise? Instead of how are you, what would have been the preferred question?
1: How are you now? How are you today?
0: Uh, in the moment
1: in the moment in the present there's no pain mm. in the past there's pain in the future there's grief and fear
0: how are you i'm fucking broken <laughs> that's that's what you wanted to say every time
1: pretty much <laughs>
0: right like but like are you can't crazy deal yeah deal
1: with that i mean right. what do you do with that if you're a person on the other side and, and it's natural for people to want to fix the situation. And so what I began to do was to develop ways that they could help in a way that was helpful. Another thing that happens a lot is, what can I do for you? That is such a big question. Yeah, That's like, how are you? And in a moment where I couldn't make decisions to save my life, for a while. That was impossible. I couldn't tell anyone what I what I needed because what I wanted was my husband back. But nobody could give me that. And then beyond that, I didn't know. You know, I want to not wake up devastated every day. I want to have energy I can rely on. I want to remember my shoes when I walk out the door.
0: Wow. You know, I I find it fascinating that you start, there became a point in time where the grief turned into anger. Yep. You were angry. David, you left me here. Yep. You left me. All these people are asking me all these questions. I can't even be honest. I don't even know who I am, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my question, Allison, is how do you go from how do you start to turn it around? How do you go from being broken and being angry and resentful and all these other feelings that you're feeling to a healthy state?
1: Well, fundamentally, as human beings, we do have innate resilience. I truly believe that, even from a place where I was at that time. And the point at which I was able to shift that well, one of the things I kept telling myself was this pain must serve. This pain must serve some purpose beyond just shattering me. And so I kept looking for, you know, what what were the lessons? What could I contribute out of what I was learning? How could I open up these conversations that it was clear to me were not being had and needed to be had? Um, and so the point at which my longing for more for a bigger life but bigger than my fear of the pain that's when the turning point came for me
0: and how many years was that after the uh, death
1: um it was it incrementally went along I was looking for solutions but that turning point came at at probably a year
0: hmm Okay.
1: Close to that. Um,
0: but then was, it's not like you. I was you,
1: already it, writing and I was already speaking and stuff like that.
0: But like you said, incrementally. So it, it's still, while those feelings started happening after about a year, it still took it, you quite some time. To yeah. Get
1: I mean, I wasn't able to do the things that I was qualified for. So I was a consultant who couldn't consult because I couldn't cope with people. I also was a proofreader, a medical editor, with the attention span of a fruit fly and no memory. So nothing that I was trained for could I do. But I had to start somewhere. So if I was gonna push out the boundaries of my life, I had to begin in some place. And one of the mistakes that people make is that they think that they can bounce back to who they were, and they never will. Hmm and if you think about so you think about this last year this coronavirus year this lost year for all of us Yeah, we will never be the person we were before this year true because we lost we lost a year we're grieving a year
0: so what for someone that's listening that's going holy cow this is my life right now that's going through the same thing something devastating Yep. what were some of the actions that you put into place in year going into year two what were some of the actions that you put into place to start getting on track
1: I developed kind of a three step process which got me through so the first piece was re-engage at the point when I realized that my life was too small and I wanted it bigger So I wanted to add more people in and I wanted to be doing more activities than I was. The first place I decided to push out into was work, but I couldn't do anything I was qualified for. So I took a job working two four-hour shifts a week in a Halloween pop-up shop. No skill. (laughs) Yeah. Hang hangers on a rack but I needed to expand my capacity to be with people, to do activities at all. And at the end of four hours, I was wiped out. But as time went on in that job, I could expand the hours, I could be with more people, I could engage a little bit more, and I started pushing out my own boundaries. So So, that was kind of the first thing.
0: So the first step was getting reacclimated with society Taking a job even though it wasn't much skill, it was building stamina and it was it was you were re socializing yourself.
1: Yeah, you have to start from where you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it, it's a recipe for disaster to try to start from where you were because you're not there anymore.
0: Yes. Okay. So that was step one.
1: So that was step one, re engage. Get back in the game. Step two was reinvent. I no longer knew who I was, because I'd been a we for so long. And when you're with someone for 25 years, what you like and don't like kind of melds together. So they do some things that they don't love, but you like. You do some things that you don't love, but they like. Right. And there are these compromises that just happen, especially in the beginning of relationships. And so after he died, I didn't know who I was anymore. And so I started re-examining everything in my life, all the things that we had been doing, to see if that was something I liked for myself as an individual or not. And reinvent was making distinctions as fast as I could. Figuring it, figuring things out. Okay, what kind of hobbies do I like? What kind of activities do I like? What kind of people do I like being around? And so I did that in all areas of my life. And one of the biggest areas I did that in was when I was ready to risk love again, I, which was the hardest thing I did to come back because it felt like betrayal and it brought up grief and anger and fear. And if you're with someone for 25 years, the last time I dated was 1992 and I started dating using Bumble in
0: 2018. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, completely different worlds. I mean, completely different things, yes. I mean it's almost like two different lifetimes
1: absolutely two different lifetimes and I had no idea what I was doing but I got on Bumble because I thought that this online dating app because I thought it would be a fast way to make distinctions because one of the things that I didn't know was what kind of men I'd like to go out with Mm. I mean I'd been with the same man for 25 years he was gone but who did I like right and so I used I used this dating app to make distinctions and I didn't worry too much about the person what my aim was to start going out with men doing activities that both I and the other person liked
0: let me ask you um, so in this reinvention step two with mm-hmm. da- and you're putting yourself back out there, which had to be pretty terrifying uh, and overwhelming, because this, <laughs> is just, yeah, like shocking to the to the psyche. Um, you start talking to men and you start dating men, and maybe the dating leads eventually to some intimacy. But the question that I have is, once it does get there, maybe it gets there. Just through talking, just through dating, or in intimacy moments, but are you feeling, in a weird way, almost guilty toward your your husband? You know, David. Are you feeling? Is there something there psychologically? Yes, there it is. It
1: brings up a huge feeling of betrayal.
0: You feel like you're be you're betraying David, even though he's no longer here.
1: Absolutely. There's wow. no reason to do it.
0: That's where I, that's what I was thinking. and I'm, I'm wow, that's that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And any any feeling of joy would bring up a huge wash of grief.
0: So you couldn't any
1: feeling of desire would bring up a huge wash of shame.
0: So you would be on a date. And you're having fun. You, like, oh my God! You almost forget for a second. Like you, you, you know, you forget, right? Like this is finally. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling fun. And then all of a sudden, oh my God! I'm cheating on on my husband, who's no longer here, for lack exactly. of a, for lack of a better, ex- you know,
1: yeah. Exactly. It was it was really complicated. So I wrote the profile so that to describe myself as clearly as I could, mm-hmm. uh, because. <coughs> At that point, I didn't care about them. I cared that they liked doing something I liked doing, so that we would go out and have fun. I had three criteria for the man: one, no smokers;
0: well, two, you're smart;
1: no Trump people.
0: Oh <laughs> well, you're not that smart. What's that? <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just it was a toxic environment.
0: So you had you had your first criteria was they couldn't be a smoker. The, no se- smoker. the second criteria was they couldn't be a Trump supporter. What was right. number 3?
1: And the third was must love music.
0: Third was so must two love. negatives,
1: one positive. That's Yes,
0: it. two negatives one positive. So the third was must love music. A certain type of music or just anything?
1: Any music. Any music. But if they did not love music, it was a deal breaker for me.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: And so the point was, if they didn't want a widow, if they didn't want someone who liked rocky beaches over sandy beaches, if they didn't like the things I like, I wanted them to deselect themselves. To not choose me. And so I had this massive screening process. And by the time I went on my first date, I never dated a guy who wasn't great.
0: That's great. That's fantastic.
1: But I was was really robust in, you know, going out with people who wanted to do what I wanted to do.
0: Let me ask you, if the guy didn't smoke and he loved all the music he did, he claimed he wasn't political... And you absolutely were having a blast with this guy. You know, he treats you great. He shows you the world. You know, you're feeling like alive again. And then after like three or four or five months, he drops the bomb on you that he's always been a closet Trump supporter. What would you have done? Deal breaker. That would have been it.
1: Deal breaker.
0: Signed, sealed, delivered. Done. We're done.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's it's the it's the accepting someone in that position that it's fine for that person to be a bully that it's fine for that person to not live by the values that I consider human values. It's not even political; it's human for me.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So those So it had
1: much more to do with that than the power.
0: So yeah, so those those three were your were your deal breakers. Like like on these apps that now these days, like Hinge and these apps, there's deal breakers. Those are your three. No ifs, ands, or buts.
1: And it was so effective that six months after my first date on Bumble, I committed to my second love. I live with my boyfriend.
0: You met your current boyfriend on Bumble. I did. And you've been with him since?
1: I've been with him. We committed to each other in January of 2019. We met July 1st, 2018.
0: So you guys are coming up on almost three years of having uh, met.
1: Yeah, but it was complicated. I was a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, so speaking of psychology, my skin was only accustomed to my husband's skin for 25 years. So I literally could not trust my chemistry. I felt revulsion if anyone, on certain days, if it was an anniversary, a day I'd been crying, I would sometimes say, don't touch me. And for almost six months, kisses caused panic attacks full on panic attacks so it uh, it was complicated
0: you would be getting you would be having a level of intimacy not even anything crazy and the kissing would start causing panic attack i mean what what do you mean when you say panic t- what what would happen
1: i would start feeling sick i would back up fast i would push away I mean really a full on panic
0: attack. You couldn't breathe? Yeah. And you needed to like take a seat and just take a breath? One of those feelings? Like the room's hot. I just had to, the room's caving in on you. I had
1: to just you know, stop. Stop. And I mean fortunately the the guy that I'm with was willing to be as long as I was willing to keep pressing into my experience and my feelings he was willing to hang in there
0: with me Wow that's incredible Yeah, and what do you think got you through it the, 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 the first of all the, the comfort knowing that your partner was allowing a safe space that had to be the most important part
1: it was really important I mean I would say that there's a moment where I truly fell in love with him it was an anniversary of some kind I think it might have been my husband's birthday and I had forgotten and I'd scheduled a date with this guy that I liked. And um, I'd been crying literally for eight hours. And so I did not know what I would be like that evening. And I wanted to go out with him and I thought, what am I going to do? You know, this guy did, is, did not sign up for this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: He did not sign up for this. And what I decided was that he was an adult and he could make his own decision. So I called him up and I told him what was going on and that I wanted to go out with him, but I was a hot mess. And what did he want to do? There was no consequence if he said, I'm not up for this tonight. And he said, I'm okay, let's go out. And I said, and when we go out, I might cry but don't try to fix me because I'm not broken I'm just crying and he said okay that's good to know and just his willingness to actually really listen to what I was saying and step into had to be uncomfortable for him too I mean you don't want to go on a date with someone who might predictably burst into tears Sure, but he was just willing to stand for me
0: Wow. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely fascinating. Yep. So yep. you have reengage, you had this reinvention process. What was your third one?
1: The third one was rebuilt. So after any loss, you lose people. People step up, step back and step out. So if they can't deal with their own mortality, they are going to go away. If your emotions are too much, they're going to leave. And so you lose people that you count on after a loss. And because I had such great need, when you lose a spouse and when you lose someone you've been with for 25 years, it's astonishing how many holes that leaves in your life. And my network... Nobody's network is designed to take up that kind of slack. It just isn't. But I started looking at networks as a phenomenon because it's sort of my natural way to deconstruct my own experiences and figure out why they're not working and how to come up with solutions. And I started thinking about how we deal with our networks by default the only times we go out for um connections is in business business referrals but we live in networks in our entire lives you know who do you go to exercise class with who do you go out to drinks with who would you go on an adventure with Who's your best friend? These are different people very often. Mm -hmm. And when someone you count on leaves, we typically just wait for someone else to rise up. But we're not curating it. And we're not choosing who the best person to rise up would be. Because we're not even aware of what we're missing it's a person who left but it's a person who provided resources to us and vice versa mm. and so i started linking net, linking networks as res, as kind of a a support structure that was either delivering or not delivering what i needed proactively and assessing each person in it. Okay, what does this person provide? Has this person stepped up or stepped back? And then looking at where my holes were and filling them actively. So rebuild was critical because if you know what you're, where you're going, what you're building in your future, let's say you want to scale your business and you're going to need X amount of funds, is the person in your network right now who can provide that. If yeah. not, might be good to start cultivating them.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
1: You know, are you going to want to go on an eco-adventure? Do you have eco-adventure friends? Might want to start looking around. And it just has created a much richer network for me. So, re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild. And i I'm convinced that these are life skills
0: that's beautifully that's said
1: people
0: through be that's, that's beautifully said Allison I, I've got one question for you and then we'll wrap it yeah. up with with the, the services and, and the coaching that you uh, that you provide um, yep. looking back looking back after that devastating time from the day your David left us to you know that first year that second year as you're going through your different phases Looking back, is there something now that's more clear to you that you say to yourself, huh, I could have probably done this differently to have been in a better place emotionally?
1: I don't know that that's true. Um, Could I have done something differently? I, I I would say in the time when I was broken, my financial need was so great that I was pretty victimy about my requests. So I could have done that better.
0: What does that mean, victimy about my requests?
1: I would. Um, it's it's not uncommon for widows to not open the mail, especially if it's been. A medical thing, mm-hmm. because um, most of the mail was medical bills, and those were painful and enormously high, and and so you just stop opening the mail. And so I had a number of occasions where I almost had the lights turned off, almost had the internet turned off, almost had the that kind of thing, and then and didn't have the money to cover it necessarily, and would call up desperate, mm. and you know calling people up desperate. Her basic needs just scares them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I didn't handle that well.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's
1: to be honest.
0: That's that's why I'm at, you know, that's one of those things that someone that's going through this right now that could, you know, potentially do something a little bit differently than they may do. So your thing was I avoided responsibilities because it was just too painful. With yep. this, with that type of stuff, yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, Allison, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I mean, this that was is a great conversation. This this is fascinating to me, and I think that we're kind of scratching the surface because I can go so many different directions and dig in a little bit deeper on so many different angles. But we've been talking for almost an hour. Uh, <laughs> now you're serving others and you're helping other people overcome um... bad situations over getting people that have been stuck that have experienced tremendous grief so talk to us a little bit about the services you offer
1: i offer uh, one-on-one consulting and i uh... Am in the middle of writing a book which i'm still deciding on the title but it will be something like the bad widow guide to life after loss which will include in much more detail a lot of the ideas that we've been talking about um, I do a lot of podcasts and speaking and mostly I, I just work one on one with people for the most part at this point
0: and if they want to reach you it's badwidow.com correct?
1: badwidow.com,
0: badwidow.com. <laughs> we'll get shirts, t-shirts, hats, coffee cups, come on all this stuff
1: exactly
0: (laughs) we will link you up in the show notes so anyone wants to reach uh, Allison check her out we link her in the show notes badwidow.com and uh, again I really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and sharing your story and and wish you nothing but happiness and nothing but happiness success all good things uh, uh, to come Mm,
1: thank you so much Nathan you too